Cradoline Network. Try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progress at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for September and October 1992, progs 800 to 803. Oh, baby, you know we in that 800, though. That's right. This time, Judge and Marshall show down. Woman and Dinosaur team up. Luke Kirby comes back. Zenith blows over. And the Wireheads jack in. No, you missed one. You missed a very particular one. Nope. If you want to read along with us, you find the comics we're covering today <laughs> and Judge Dredd, the complete case, file 17, Zenith Phase 4, Summer Magic, the complete journal of Luke Kirby, and the Judge Dredd Magazine 310. I don't have to include every thrill in that opening no, thing. No, no, it's, it's all fine. right. I was going to say uh, uh, ex-wife kills husband, maybe. <laughs> God, I wish oh, that happened. Oh, man. Ex-fiance, right? Yeah, I no, I just, I, I wish it had ended in bloodshed, that's all. It ends in a little. I mean, there's a... It ends in nudity. And not Finally. the kind that, yeah. I... <laughs> all right. Finally. Through one, George <laughs> Dredd. I can't transition from that. All right. I, well, you know, get speared, baby. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot Script. of penetration happening in this episode. Oh, shit. That explosions afterwards. Script robot wow. Garth Ennis. Art robot Sean Phillips. Lighting robot Tom Frame. All right, Fox. We're back in Judge Dredd. Out of the judgment zone at last. And returning to two-person Judge Dredd recaps. You know. Give it up. I'm feeling this. Uh, it was there was some intensity, so let's just relax a little bit with some post. Everything is screwed. We've got a crazy person on the loose. Murder. Let's let's go arrest some people. You know. Yeah, yeah. Mega intensity in ten mega cities. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Channel 69 in Mega City 1 celebrates the city's survival through the horrors of, of um, Judgment Day. Hey, and we did it again. Yeah, but instead of accepting praise or rewards, Dredd's back on the streets. Yeah, he's, he's, he calls out how he, it's like, I wanted to give me like the the chief judgeship. They wanted to reward him on it. He's like, I don't, I just want to be a cop. Which, it's basically yeah, it's basically the end of the first of the uh, Stallone Judge Red movie. You know, he's he's a street judge, that kind of stuff. Yep. He surveys the the city from an outcropping, seeing the light on the border wall from judges repulsing another mercy, uh, mutant attack. And it seems they do, but a guy in a cool mask and cloak, clasped with a star and a bladed staff, makes it through. That's this weirdo sneaks in, takes out a citizen, then impales Judge Smith. Saying, I am the marshal. I want justice. Okay, buddy. You know, I feel like he's trying not to not to use the trademark terms, you know. But trying to be judge adjacent, yes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, listen, gonna spear ya. This FYI coming in. I I, <laughs> I really like the spear 
aesthetic. It's kind of a double bladed, like story. broadleaf spear or something like that. Oh uh, yeah, know. you know, he's he's the Darth Maul of Judge Dredd. I get it. Finally, elsewhere at the Smiley <laughs> Jones block, an illegal an illegal raid is taking or rave is taking place, hoping that the zombie incursion means the judges won't notice. But Dredd's here to put a stop to the music, and he even shoots the DJ when the DJ comes up with a gun. There's nothing better than knowing that your uh, your DJ is equipped with a semi DJ <laughs> strapped, buddy. That's how it goes. You want to die on the dance floor? That's how that's how it happens. Oh, um, hey. Meanwhile, the marshal is observing that two other judges are coming to investigate Judge Smith. He shoots them both with a hand crossbow. That Long shoots- range spear. It shoots like two bolts at once. It's one of those crossbows that's like a double crossbow. And then the bolts explode. Whoa. Yeah, he got a couple of passives from leveling up early in the... Yeah, listen, this guy has been paying attention to leveling up his Witch Hunter. So this Diablo 3 campaign, this Diablo 3 season is going to be the best one ever. Um. (laughs) Nice. The marshal has come to Mega City One, but Dredd is busy with more mundane folks. We see him blowing up a gas station that's declared independence. And then Dredd's called to the scene of the marshal's entrance. Meanwhile, the marshal himself, on a, I think on a stolen bike, or he's killed a judge on a bike in sort of the foreground here, arrives at the Hall of Justice as a man in a judge uniform drinks synthski in a dark room. Whoa. Man, um, you're thinking- not supposed to be drinking that stuff on duty. Which, Mm-mm, well, I guess it gets like all. five minutes. I don't know. Yeah, it shouldn't be drinking. Like al- alcohol is illegal in Mega City 1. And he's saying that it has an effect on him. So whatever. It's oh. just, I presumably it's whiskey distilled from artificial um, barley, you know, whatever they make. Wh- wheat? What do they make whiskey out months. of? Mash? Months. Mash? Some of that kind of stuff. Now uh, it's made I mean, of it's months, months, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's all months. Definitely. <laughs> But it, I, I believe it is still uh, 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 alcoholic, despite being synthetic. You could probably, you know, ferment months. Yeah, Dredd and Magruder look over the bodies of the dread of the dead judges as a dock judge theorizes that it could have been done by just one man. Dredd says he'll handle it all, and then looks out the window to find the marshal <laughs> out there climbing the wall in suction cups. Luckily, yes. I guess these windows open, um, and Dredd isn't having this Batman <laughs> stuff, so he just grabs and pulls the marshal in there, arresting him on the spot. Well, you got to imagine like you want some fresh air around the dead bodies, you know. I just love that image of Dredd looking out the window and the marshal being like, ooh, I hope he doesn't see me. And Dredd being like, what the fuck? I'm just (laughs) impressed that somewhere on his body he was keeping those suction cups. That's true. He's got a very form-fitting outfit. The other mm-hmm. judge, uh, the marshal punches Dread back. Other dr- judges draw down. The marshal fires three crossbow bolts. He's been in, in spe- he's been investing in that skill tree. Critical chance, t- you know. <laughs> two judges and blowing off Judge Magruder's arm. Dread's undeterred. He punches, kicks, and headbutts the marshal as the mutant rants about his brotherhood being poisoned and murdered. The marshal is finally at bay, and the chief is okay because it only blew up her robot arm. We'll recall that she lost that arm in the Apocalypse War. I was going to say, I love that callback because it acknowledges the fact that "Ah, she was the the one-armed... uh, yeah, she had a one-armed swearing, swearing in um, session at the end of the Apocalypse War. That was and, awesome. And now she's, you know, I, she of course, has a prosthetic and all that stuff, I guess. Kept working during the Cursed Earth. Let's keep going. Um, 
In the interrogation room, the marshal is showing to be proof against all of the judge's techniques. Um, like he just laughs when they try to hypnotize him and stuff. And he's still wear- – they're still letting him wear his mask, I guess. In the end, <laughs> Dredd has no other options and just asks the marshal what his deal is. And the marshal obliges. Why wouldn't you start with that like in interrogation and then you ramp it up? Come on, guys. Nah. He says he's from a secretive mutant tribe, the Brotherhood of Marshals. They are mighty, and they help the people of the Cursed Earth, inspired by semi-forgotten tales of the Lone Ranger, as you do. Uh, it is the uh, Lone Ranger. Oh, sorry. It was all it was all ripped up on the book, so I just figured they were like legally, legally distinct from the Lone Ranger. Also, the version with Johnny Depp, all these different ones. Well, yeah, um, no, no one's keeping that video into the future. <laughs> 50 days ago, the marshal returned home to find the water at his people's camp poisoned and all of them dead but him. And the poison was a canister of Justice Department genetic <laughs> genetic material or sorry, Genetech genetic material. I, I feel like, again, level one thing that you should do as evil people, don't just don't just drop the canisters and put your name on it. Be like, oh, it was yep. fucking Australia. They did it. I don't know. Yeah. Just don't say that it's from that. It seems like unmarked canisters should be the default when you're doing things to kill, to like test your genetic thingamajigs. Yeah. Save, save on, you know, the embossing or what. I don't know. That's not yeah. the right word. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Naturally, the marshal swore revenge. Magruder believes him, but she says he, she didn't order any genetic dumping. So what's going on? Meanwhile, that one drunk judge checks in on him on the mutant dread brought in and is told by the dispatcher control that he needs to shave. You look tired. Yeah, he's buddy. looking rough. He is definitely worried. Later the marshal is antsy to leave because Dredd promised him justice and the other judges tell him to wait. Like Dredd's figuring out who the guy that did this is. Like they're running it down. You gotta be patient. He's like, I'm not gonna be patient. I'm the marshal. And so he puts a mind whammy on one of the security judges, which makes him release his restraints. And then he just starts killing everybody. Um, as Dredd and Magruder are indeed running it down, checking computer files, they find a field test of Operation Phoenix done yes. by Judge Exon behind Magruder's back. Wait, so Phoenix then, are they going to come back to life is my question. Hold you know it. I mean? Sorry. Hold I'll it. tell you that Judge, Judge Magruder has an objection. Oh, and there's no time for internal intrigue here too. because the marshal is loose. Yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix, right, buddy? Oh my god, I love you. The, that the was best good. DS I liked games. It. Love those. Good, good commute games. If you're tired of reading a book and you want to read a video game, really um, bad if you want to learn how to be a lawyer, even in Japan. That's so true. Well, I don't want to get into it. Um, In a very red and blue page, judges scramble after the marshal as the marshal kicks down Exxon's door. He grabs the tech judge and drags him to an elevator, killing judges as he goes. Inside the lift, he forces Exxon to confess his crimes, and the confession goes out over the Justice Central loudspeaker. Seems Operation Phoenix was an attempt to create a virus that would change human DNA to make people more docile, you know, which is your standard conspiracy if you're into like anti-vax stuff or GM or anti-GMO food stuff. This is a very common um, conspiracy theory, Fox. So just FYI. Um, 
Anyway, these this idea was first suggested by that jerk um, Judd, you know, who also did the clone judges and was big in the Oz storyline, etc. I mean, he's he's our genetic boy. Mm-hmm. Genetic evil boy. Off mm-hmm. books, Exxon ordered the drug tested, not knowing. And wh- where he had it tested, he didn't know it was the home of the judges. And then he also miscalculated how much to use and it created a poison. And I guess, like, maybe it's it's Operation Phoenix because it's either bringing back this idea that Judd had from the dead fox. That would be my guess. Or alternately, mm. that the genetically altered humans to be docile would be bringing them into a new era or something like that. Nothing that would quite be my like guess. a docile phoenix. I mean, you know, whatever you train, you uh, you capture it, and then you can use it as a summon late in the in the mid game. It's exciting. Oh yeah, you know? Carbuncle is ass. Or uh, pay for it with uh, three uncolored mana and two red mana. Live it up. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Just, I hope, I hope all the jocks that listen to this podcast just got like cancer or something from all this nerdiness, Fox. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> no, Nerds just, only just on this minor, podcast. Just minor inflammation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Blah. So the lift has reached the roof and the marshal prepares to execute Exxon as Dredd arrives. It says, heal through the killing. Thank you. He shoots the marshal twice and punches out Exxon's teeth. Um, the two lawmen square off on the rainy rooftop. The marshal wants justice. But again, Dredd can't stress enough that he is the law in Mega City 1. And he, I've got a broken pipe. So Yeah, he jam- he uh, he commandos the marshal, jams a big wow. pipe through his chest. Let off some steam, marshal, <laughs> as the dying mutant <laughs> swears that the other surviving marshals will avenge him and kill Dredd. Then he dies and Dredd... Ec- uh, sentences Exxon, Exxon to 20 years on Titan. If the marshals want to kill him, then they can get in goddamn line. Yeah, I was about to say, take a fucking number. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I believe we, I like, so I'll talk about this a little bit more in Non-Thrills Fox, but as we get into the 800s, we are reaching the point where both I, you know, um, my I, the last prog I read before I started reading in the modern day was Prague 1000. So after that, I don't really know what's going to happen. Ooh, we're getting um, into that. We're getting into that kind of foggy period now. And I'll tell you, Fox, that these post 800 progs especially may have been read, read, read very quickly by your boy. Hey, that's great. <laughs> I don't know. That's I don't know great. how much comprehension I had as well. I do kind of remember the marshals coming back before 1000, but I couldn't give you more details than that. I didn't really I mean, up, listen, we're in bat country now. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's an exciting time for sure. Next time on Judge Dredd, the return of Judge Joyce. going to soak our floorboards in ether. Just get exciting. ready for this. Uh, <laughs> man, oh man, there was a lot of penetration in this episode. But do you mm. know what penetrates better than spears, my dude? Well, you know, the marshal used an exploding crossbow, Fox. And speaking of blasts from the past. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Conrad, are you hungry? I could eat a That's- whole Tyrannosaurus. Listen, listen, Fox, like these stories are all pretty from pretty long ago. You know, like there's sort of these classic tales of things that the marshals were based on the Lone Ranger and which is, you know, from the 20s or something. And speaking of blasts from the past. 
I had a twofer. Thrill to flesh. Oh, buddy. This one this robot, is yeah. so weird. weird. Oh, yeah. Script robot Pat Mills and Tony Skinner. Art robot Carl Critchlow. Letting robot Steve Potter. Fox, why did the dinosaurs survive? We'll find out in flesh. The legend of Shamana. I mean, you know, I feel like why did the dinosaurs survive is such a bad question because they didn't? I mean, they evolved into birds, right? Well, and, you know, I mean, a lot of these are mismatched uh dinosaurs given their the age that they're just kind of mashing these things together but mm-hmm. you know there's no dinosaurs in survive have you Certain, ever well what well, i mean it's, it's a, oh yeah <clears throat> fair enough but yeah but i mean like i don't know like if you look at like a uh some of these like like big like um murder birds like have you ever seen a cassowary i have not is it a big murder bird oh yeah and it's and it's it's this it's it's sort of like it's a, it's like human sized, I'd say, and it's got like Jesus. black and br- bright blue feathers. But it has like those. It has like f- like literally like Velociraptor claws and stuff. Like when they made the Jurassic Park, they based the claws of the Velociraptors on the cassowary feet. It'll rip your throat out with its feet and stuff like that. You know, it's and it's got not got a ton of feathers. It's got a very dinosaur-y kind of look. You know, I don't like that idea. I don't like that idea, Conrad. I don't like... Can I... I mean, I know talons, but they're like, you know, falcon talons. Okay, yeah, I can do a little rending, but certainly not I feel not like a- I've, I've told this story before, but when I was at the San Francisco Zoo, they have a cassowary, and I went there one Jesus. day. And As there was a zookeeper there who basically said that this cassowary is a murderous asshole, and you should not, like, be cool to it. Like, don't take its picture. Don't don't give it what it wants. Oh, my <laughs> God. zookeeper hated that bird. Anyway, Fox. I, I You know, I search for cassowary, mm-hmm. and a little picture comes up, and it says, cassowary, world's most dangerous bird. Yeah. And here's here's the real shit of it. What do you think its lifespan is, Conrad? I mean, birds actually do live a long time, right? This thing like, lives forty to fifty years. Nice. Yeah, those those parrots live years like eighty years, years. You know. Yeah. God, that's right. <laughs> it can travel up to fifty kilometers an hour. Jesus Christ! It's a. Mm-hmm. It is a murder. Yeah. No. It's 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 just a slightly gussied up like Velociraptor, basically. You know. Maybe it is. Well, I guess it doesn't have the like tiny front stuff. Anyway, let's let's talk about dinosaurs and not birds. Yeah. Well, you know. So the story starts with a full page picture of the titular lady herself surrounded by all her dino friends. And in Dinosaur Times, Fox, we see a herd of brontosauruses or something being uh, being sort of, yeah, I guess herded again by a pod of brontosauruses being herded by buggies with big lifter arms as dino birds fly overhead. I want to drivers- shout out that yeah. one of the dudes driving the cars has a shirt that just says patience kills. Love it. <laughs> one of the drivers gets yelled at by a lady on a dirt bike and then one of those, those dino bats spook the lead bull bron- Bronto and it runs. That's no good. So one of the buggy drivers goes That's after it. So and awesome. Dude, and a lifter in the lifter arm revs up a Chainosaurus chainsaw and cuts the head off that bull. Um, it's just a monster truck slash cherry picker with a man with a chainsaw. Absolutely. It, and it's terrifying. <laughs> and in a callback to the first sto- book of flesh, actually. 
Um, once it gets its head cut off, the Bronto keeps running like a chicken yeah. or something like that. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm it, and well, it's a lot more graphic than the first flesh. I'll say that much. It's true. Listen, the color adds a lot. A fem- and a female Brontosaurus goes after it, unwilling to lose more stock. The lady on the bike has one of the dudes pick up the cow Bronto with some kind oh, of gravity God. beam. Which I mean, why didn't you just use that on the one that was running away? Agreed. He then positions, and then as sort of a joke, he accidentally, quote unquote, positions the dinosaur over the woman who's named Martinez and playfully drops it on top of her. She dodges just out of the way as the brontosaurus explodes in a fountain of gore just off screen. Once again, (laughs) like reducing the amount of money that they will make on this trip. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And she dodges into a nearby jungle. There she sees a woman with dark hair and skin wearing red rags with face paint and feathers tied in her hair. She shouts, Yakoyama! And slashes at Martinez with a knife, maybe made out of a tooth. And the dudes recognize her. It's the wild woman! Let's get her! (laughs) I I just... I don't know if I'd run towards a tooth-wielding crazy person, but that's fun. Mm-hmm. Those ju- those jerk humans go running out to catch the wild woman, some suggesting some very gross plans. But when they find her, she's surrounded by a motley crew of different dinosaurs. She's got a whole, like, menagerie ABC? of dinos here. Uh, well, ABC. <laughs> ABC no, dinosaurs! ABC dinosaurs! Just got to play the Dino Riders theme, to be honest. Oh, I, I never watched Dino Riders. It was just like Dino Riders, something like that. I could, I cannot. It was 35 well, years ago. <laughs> you know that I'm going to be looking up Dino Riders after this. I remember the to- the toys were amazing, Fox. They were these just these big ass um, like dinosaur models. And then you could put missiles and shit on them. It was excellent. I only had the small ones, man. I would love like, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I win the lottery and I got my mansion, when I can just have rooms full of stuff, like after I got the complete 2000 AD, get just getting a bunch of dino riders stuff seems like a pretty good investment for my fun time. I mean, all of the theme is just exposition. Yeah. <laughs> Dino Riders. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, they okay. got to listen, they got a high concept. They got to get they got to explain what's going on. But so um the woman leaps into action carried into the air by a dino bird That's and then so is going awesome. flying up to the humans in vehicles and like slashing them to death. And we speaking of narration, we get a lot here. The narration identifies the woman as Shamana and the bird as Sharak-Ah, a.k.a. Skyclaw. There's a giant-armed Dioncharius with a mohawk named Grak-Hu. Big killer, a bright red T-Rex called Kagrak, Sweet. friendly killer, who's Shimano's brother, it seems. There's a chameleonic hadrosaur called Mufa, male horn. A little guy called Aik, close help who's apparently getting high on dino herbs currently, <laughs> and knee shrack, small killer, big claw, an unstable raptor with a fringe of feathers around him. Man, so this is just the predicate to Primal Rage, the fighting game, outside of having a barfing farting monkey. Yeah, I mean, me. this is very much like, again, I mean, you said ABC Warriors, and I think that's really valid. Like, it's just it's just dinosaur ABC Warriors, basically. I think it is so a little wonderful. interesting that we've um, 
Again, like, I feel like I've talked to this before, but it's interesting to see this pre-Jurassic Park kind of dinosaur stuff, I guess. Oh, like, yeah. you, you can see that, for instance, that uh, the, 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 the T-Rex has, a, has taken on a bit of a more modern, like, T-Rex stance, I guess. Like, it, it's not, he's not fully upright the way that we've seen T-Rexes in, in 2080 in the past, I guess. And some of these guys do have, f- like, fringes of feathers and hair and other things that sort of match up with our more modern conceptions of dinosaurs. I mean, you had me at ABC Dinosaurs. I'm just yeah, going to state that fact. <laughs> I, just, I just like I and just the like one just that's going constantly getting high on the team. Which, Absolutely. again, if Harlem Heroes were just dinosaurs and were this and not Harlem Heroes, the new one, you know the one I mean. Mm. So... All the dinosaurs work closely with Shamana as she just kind of flips around and slaughters all these humans. And then after the fight, Aika um, applies natural medicines to any wounds they might have incurred that's in the process. The healer of the group. You need you need somebody who's there. That's you know the priest slash cleric. Absolutely, yeah. No, he's laying getting these, high on his uh, own supply on. too. So he's got depth of character. Mm-hmm. The only survivor of the ambush is Martinez hiding in the jungle, radioing into, into Central as she, she watches Shimana uh, just calmly eat a dang human arm. Yeah, and I think they, they, had mentioned, they had mentioned in there, too, it's like what I like about it is like, yeah, you know, uh, they like her well enough. But, you know, if they smell blood and it's her blood, it can be kind of problematic. Like there's yeah, that's these especially pieces that are in there where it's like, I, you know, this is still a crazy wild woman who's like dealing with dinosaurs, but they're all on a team. It's dinosaur team. I love this. Guy. Yeah, they especially mention it for a knee Shrek, which I guess because the raptor, I guess, is also kind of a berserker, basically. Um, anyway, the dinos and Shimano lick their wounds, pick their teeth, and get drugged up for some cross-species mating, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, Meanwhile, it's weird. Yeah. In the flesh pits, we see big bulldozers pick up oh my God. monotoceratops it- and drop them into the flesh dozers. Um, and then we see, um, and occasionally, you know, of course, as we've seen before in flesh, you know, it's not unusual for a human to get <laughs> caught in one of those flesh dozers in the slight, in the skite hopper and get tossed in with the meat as well. Upton Sinclair has not been found in this time travel uh, situation. I, I'll, I'll say this much, <laughs> especially as you get onto the next segment, they do a very good job of making me hate the humans. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is, I mean, like, actually, I want to talk about this kind of at the end, when we get to yeah, the yeah, flesh yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in a nearby by house, a rich lady is bottle feeding a pterodon, uh, a pterodon baby, like like a baby pterodon, until it pees on her. Then she breaks its neck and feeds it to a giant dog like Dino. She's Mrs. Tropicana, and she sends away for another cute baby pterodactyl. Her husband and another corporate goon come in as he complains about all these dang dinosaurs all over the place. And she's like, well, I don't have a baby, so I've got these dinosaurs. Oh, <laughs> yep. That's it. And then, and then they bring in Martinez. They uh, want to yell at her about the lost herd, but instead she has a warning coming about Shamana. She's going to be here. Carnivores and herbivores are living together. It's the end of the world. <laughs> 
Dogs and cats living together. Exactly. Martinez recounts the destruction of the old trans time base back in the first Flash story. And we learn that this time company is called Time to Time. Okay. And just in that story, we'll recall a giant alliance of dinosaurs teamed up to destroy the base. Um, and if I have one complaint about this scene of a dino army wreaking car- carnage, it's that I'd wish Critchlow had drawn old one eye facing the camera yeah. with the empty socket outward, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's how you know but, it's old one eye. Yeah, but that's a small criticism in an otherwise excellent opening page of Dino Carnage. <laughs> but it's they a left pile no survivors. Of, of dead human bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just standing on a human on a human murder file. Yeah. And they and they say there's no survivors except of course for Earl Reagan, who's in corporate jail, and also Claw Carver who got lost in the time stream, as we'll remember. Um, and I, I think maybe I, God, Earl's buddy in, Joe I, went to prison as well. I forget. It's so horrible that like they they end up just in jail after surviving. I guess you know what jail's probably pretty cushy for them. No dinosaurs in jail. Yeah, but I do think that was a good downer ending for Flesh. Oh man, we're gonna get back to that end of Flesh someday in our um in our revisited stories, Fox. I can't wait. Oh man, flesh classic, it's classic. So good. I it's still so good, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. So um, Martinez worries the same thing could happen here or is happening now with with uh, Shamana. But the corporate suits uh, call trans time a bunch of cowboys, literally in parentheses, and say Whoa. she's overreacting. So they fire her with one one month oh, severance. God. That's BS. I well, yeah. I mean, clearly someone didn't read the fine print on severance. I I mean. How can Severance going back in time dealing with these? Mo- I mean, actually, you know how the bonuses have got to make up for it, right? Mm, that's right. Yeah, you, you you probably get a commi- like either a bonus or a commission based on pound, based on flesh poundage, etc. You got to hit these metrics. You get the big money. It's like being a freaking uh, deadliest catch, uh, an Alaska crabman. Yeah, no, it's you know? like literally being a cowboy. <laughs> Ah, whoa, whoa, okay, okay. I also like this panel when they fire her of her doing like the Pikachu face, like the meme, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Open mouth, (laughs) like, what? (laughs) And and the eyes are spot on. I didn't even notice that the first time around. (laughs) When she walks out, the suits say that, of course, she's totally right, so it's time to initiate plan B. And Mrs. Tropicana goes off to do some shopping. As we see another flesh dozer cut a hadrosaur's throat and then bleed it into a big vat. And you got to be careful because, of course, that's how you get giant spiders, Fox. Oh, God. I forgot. You, I always forget about the giant spiders and it's the best fucking part. <laughs> Everyone does. The hadrosaurs with their giant, like, um, head bones and stuff. They, can- they make some sweet ass jazz. Yeah, they play a jazz dirge because I guess their heads all sound like brass instruments, basically. It's just a bunch of saxophone heads, essentially. Um, I'm the scat, dino. As Mrs. Tropicana arrives at that dozer, gets picked up by the grabber arm, which is presumably oh. extremely bloody, but whatever, because then she and the driver get canoodling. Di- I mean, I like that she has her husband, but she's all over Dino Rod. That guy looks Dino pretty buff, Rod. Fox. I don't know. I'm just saying his name is Dino Rod, and yeah, you don't buddy. get that name if you're not fucking dinosaurs, so... <laughs> 
or dinosaur related people maybe you know oh, he's like it's like calling a guy horse dick or something i guess in the I, jungle shamana i don't even know if dinosaurs would have like because lizards don't have visible no, gen- they, let's i mean not, chloe let's not talk cloaca, about too much. right so mm. potato potato <laughs> in the, Mmm. In the jungle, Shimada dreams of her past. Her mother, shaved bald and in some kind of prison camp because she's a murderer, I guess, is forced to do hard labor with her baby strapped to her back as a cruel overseer whips her. I guess in the past, her mother decides to escape. Like, I mean, in dinosaur times, I guess. Her mother decides to escape running into the dense jungles. In the darkness and noise, young Shimana starts to cry. And there are deadly dinosaurs about... Next time, prime cut. So, like, I get having potentially a work camp in dinosaur times, but, like, for what? Because usually it's in purpose of something, right? So maybe they're clearing the land for another big base or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, listen, yeah, like... Really fucking with time on this one, guys. It seems like you'd either just send people back to go to jail in the present or... Like, just every offense in dinosaur times is a, is a capital offense, basically. It seems weird to have a, a back-in-time jail, I guess, but I don't know I mean, you could just get eaten by a giant... Like, throw them to the blood spiders. Easy fix. <laughs> Finally. Although, I, I guess I'd be worried about giving the blood spiders a taste for oh, human Oh, you blood. know, yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as that stuff gets in there, they start going crazy. <laughs> I really want I, I really want to say that I really agree with you that Mills and, and Skinner do a really good job of... A goddamn... Just making these humans be real evil. And I mean, I think a really important thing to be looking at when we're reading Pat Mills through all the Pat Mills stuff we read recently. Horn God, Chronicles mm-hmm. of Chaos, Finn, now this is just all is these shared themes of um the evil of corporations and science <laughs> and civilization. Um the um m- the primal murderous nature of women also very important. Um, and, oh, and duplicitous as well. Like women are Jesus. better than us, but they're also violent and duplicitous. I can't. Yeah, like, no, all, they're, those, they're willing to, that, to, this is, to have sex with Dino Rod over their husband, I guess. Yeah, but also like Shimana is so close to, is close to the earth in a way that maybe a, 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 a boy couldn't be, for instance. So that's something to look for maybe next episode. But, um, hmm. just again, like, you know, there's this unified, um, like, set of themes that Pat Mills has that I think we're seeing continued, you know, like the, um, you know, the same corporati- anti-corporatism that we saw in Finn, mm-hmm. those evil scientists we saw in um, in ABC Warriors, all this stuff is sort of continuing on in this story as well. All of that said, themes irregardless. This was kind of awesome. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not awesome. I'm I saying know, that it's also I, got some themes. <laughs> I, I was just saying, regardless of 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 you know through lines, let's say, yeah, uh, like you tell me, hey, we're making flesh again. You know, after so many years after Satanus, right? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at people with a side eye, like, well, okay, can't can't wait for like you know the next Harlem Heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Fuck it delivered. It's so it, it like captures the violence really well in terms of mm-hmm. like what they're doing as being literally horrible. 
but then ups the ante. I love the group dynamic. I, I, you know, when I first came in and I saw the first page where it's like, hey, it's this lady and she's got all these dino friends. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a little like, nah, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like how are they going to work and whatever. And their roles are immediately established and personalized. And it's fucking hilarious and stupid. When I say stupid, I don't mean it's. it's yeah, no, I think we, we, we we've talked about the good kind of stupid previously. Yeah, no, this is this podcast. is camp. They know what yeah. they're doing. And and like, I, I don't know. It's just like, I'm really excited to see where the legend of Shamana goes, because I, I love flesh. But that's like, you know, rose tinted glasses. But this this I like a lot. I like yeah, this I mean, a I, lot more than in terms I mean, of more of, than of, Cowboys, <laughs> I would argue. It's interesting. Yeah. And, I, and I'd say in terms of uh, remakes like this, is the, it's the difference between getting Pat Mills to come back and do it versus Michael Fleischer to do it. You know, I mean, at some point, some of it just comes back to just the quality of the creative teams, you know, I'd agree with that. I yeah, would. and I'm not saying I'm not saying there's related themes to down it. I'm just saying that sometimes the subtext no. isn't text, so you got to look no, into no, it. No, no, exactly. You know? Well, no, I, I, well, I don't think that it, I don't think that it would work without a strong narrative backing it, right? If you're just like, there's a team of dinosaurs and lady, and they're fighting again. Like again, everything is like nice and structured. Mm-hmm. You, you Absolutely. know who's bad. You know who's good. Both are kind of awesome because of how bad and good they are, but it's not <laughs> it's not this like Shamana is the ultimate good. No, nah, they they straight up just in the first episode of this, they're just like, yeah, she's eating a human hand. Mm-hmm. Of course she's eating a human hand. That's yeah, what I she mean, does. She's she she's primal and atavistic, you know, like um, you know, she's got a connection to the earth in a way that means that she's beyond sort of like what we, you know, our civilized morality, buddy. And she's very hungry for flesh. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, and speaking of a giant terrifying maws, Fox, let's go oh, to God. Thrill 3 Zenith. I, I want to say that Zenith Phase 4 should be called Zenith Babies No More. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grown up, fighting. Script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yole and Gina Hart, letting robot Andy Parkhouse. Last time, superhumans Peter Sinjin and Zenith warped forward in time to avoid the onslaught as a group of other superhumans destroyed the world. And now it's all pretty well destroyed, complete with huge black sun. And our guys are flying around surveying the damage. Zenith suggests hiding, but Sinjin says that's no use. Instead, he sits down and decides to finally tell Zenith what the big plan the superheroes had had back in the 60s. Uh, We were really high. We were really, you know, into it. But man, oh man, did we want to start a very fascist cult. It's always these boomers, Fox. Always the boomers. You start (laughs) hippie, you end up fascist. Not into either of it, man. So the, the superhumans built by too far. Mm, the superhumans built by the British government found out that the government was trying to sterilize them so they couldn't make more super beings. And some of the super folks decided that they wanted to kill all of humanity and just have a clean slate for their new master race. The book was Sin- literally called The Coming Race. <laughs> well, that book, that's not about their plan. That book is about real technology, I want to say. Whoa. And just sort of other like theosophist like 
oh, um, concepts of enlightened mind and stuff like that. So the, a lot of the stuff that influenced Madame Blavatsky, which sort of all then influenced spiritual Nazism, like literally like sort of Jesus the, eso- the esoteric stuff that like Hitler believed and things like that. Get all the religious idols because then you'll have all of the power. It definitely, it definitely started. It's, it's definitely what, what it's definitely the real world stuff that made it seem plausible that Hitler would want to raid a lost ark, for instance. Um, Melting faces besides. And we've seen this scene before. Um, I don't think actually in the pages of the comics, but we definitely saw it in a Zenith story in an annual. I know I, I talked about that with, uh, with uh, Eamon from Mega City Book Club. But anyway. Hey, shout out to Mega City Book Club. Love you, Eamon. Mm. So um, anyway, Sinjin said, hey, maybe we could try to lift up humanity too. But then later realized that was a dumb idea, whatever. Um, but the plan was to use – basically get more superhero, superhumans than use their power to wrench the earth off its axis, which would kill pretty much all life. And it seems they had, which would also explain why the black sun is so big. Elsewhere – Dr. Michael Payne doing push-ups and now youthed back to his 20s talks ominously about the Black Sun, but also just finds remembering all this to be very very dull. Also horny. Very horny. He does, however, feel bad about the superhuman shockwave, who you'll recall we met in Phase 2, Fox, and was a clone of Ruby Fox, right? Yeah. Ruby Fox also remembers that part and then uses her powers to vaporize shockwave. I just, like... Yeah, we knew she was evil. That, I mean, the, the the clones were already in on the plan, but you had to you had to up the ante in terms of we're the villains now. Ruby Fox, not a good person, not a good singer, not a good person. Um, and then, then they the turn super- into spermatozoa and impregnate a son. Yeah, they fly off into that big black sun, and pain dreads their return. Or dreaded, I, I guess. I really, I again, I can't stress enough. That's the imagery that I got. Because they all Mm -hmm. like the backdrop that you see is a giant egg, which is the sun. And then a a bunch of very thin lines attempting to penetrate it. And I'm just like, again, the symbolism of Zenith and the things going like I just I love Zenith, Conrad. I don't know if I've said it enough. Like there's artistry (laughs) and craft here that cannot be understated. Definitely. So young Payne reflects that it must have been quite a shock when Zenith and Sinjin looked up and saw the black sun. They saw that it wasn't just creepy, but like you said, it's actually an egg, a door, a cocoon where the superhumans had incubated and transformed. And as our guys look on, they burst forth in a terrible shining light as fully formed Loigor. A massive scream is let out as Zenith and Sinjin fly desperately to avoid the wreckage as the world seems to shake apart from the return of the superhumans. It's the siren scream of Gnarlthotep. Which is just um. <laughs> just O-M-M. Just um. Constantly. Sinjin and Zenith arrive at Victory Park where the statue of Maximan stands as the Loigor finally crashed to Earth. There's nowhere to run as the Loigor arrive reborn as shining golden Ken doll gods, Ken and Barbie doll gods. I, I um, will say I appreciate that they kept their physical kind of stature because you see. Um, we do see kind of a fat DJ Cool. Um, yeah, no, well, look, DJ sure. Cool, I like what I like about it. It's just like, yeah, 
that's my form. My bald golden form is this. And I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. They've given up flesh to become pure being. So are you sure you want to fight that, buddy? And Sinjin totally is. Meanwhile, Pain is restless, depressed, and growing acne. Yep. Popping pimples, baby. <laughs> The last battle has begun with the Loigard just kicking ass, turning into semi-describable insect monsters. Actually, like we saw at the start of the story, I think. Yeah. And consuming Sinjin, Payne remarks that this style of fight seems a bit out of character for Sinjin. It's rare that he just sort of like throws down, basically. This strange being, actually Ruby Fox, taunts Sinjin with the power that could have been his, electrocutes him, and drops him from high in the sky. This is heaven, and you've been cast out. What's gross is that it's clear that that he was pulled into the maw, and inside the maw is the insane-looking face of this smiling, (laughs) red-eyed Ruby Fox. It's just like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Yeah, Sinjin falls and lands directly on the raised fist on the raised fist of the Maxi Man statue as it pierces through, through his chest. Even as he dies, he attacks the Loigor mentally, but then they just incinerate him. It's all over now. As just as just Zenith stands against a quartet of golden cannon Barbie dolls. There's got to be, I would argue, some sort of symbolism because he was a Tory Party leader, right? Yeah. So. Like this statue of a hero representing Britain fist up, he gets impaled by it, right? And then I mean, incinerated. There, there is something there. I feel like where it's just like you know, uh, in terms of I mean, just e- even without the politics, like Maxi Man is the first British superhero and stuff like yeah, that. So and also a just, fascist. Yeah, and I think you and remember also um, the uh, the first the, like the final fight in Zenith took place here as well around this statue and stuff like that. So oh, yeah, that's right. Sort of to, to, to just tying some of these things Closing together. Closing the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, Pay- Payne's book has gone from type to written in cursive as the Loigor and oh, Zenith prepare cute. to fight. It, it is joking. I, oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I just, I, I think that it's, it's adorable, especially as you see like the character writing all of this. Cause again, I'm going to read everything in Zenith. I don't care how yeah. many text boxes there are. Um, everything is written like a child. Like you, you had to put mm-hmm. yourself into the position of someone who like, again, Grant Morrison. Cause I think he was uh, specifically the one who was writing for this one. Yep. You, you couldn't just go writing your fucking best prose at that point. Right. You had to nah. go back to being like, Okay, well, what did I write like as a child? And it felt so realistic where it's like, oh, uh, like, I don't know. Or maybe this doesn't matter. Or like, like, who cares about this? Or it's just it feels like it's all like train of thought writing, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I agree for sure. I I like this showdown moment too, where the Loigor are like, "Oh, Zenith, you know, there's still time to join us," and he's like, "Okay, sure, okay, yeah, I'll definitely join you." They're like, "Nah, get out of here," <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> it's a joke. Funny. Why aren't you laughing?" <laughs> yeah, I yeah, and I just like that pain is yeah, he's this little boy. Like he basically, it looks like he's in like his wearing his dad's clothes or something like that. He's tired of writing, but there's something. He needs to remember something about Peter Sinjin, something in his hand. Mm-hmm. Does, who's going to read this stuff anyway? Instead, Nobody. he goes off to play and we see him sort of Naruto running, like using his like big grown up shirt as like a cape or something. That's, I think it's kind of fun. That's a good call. 
Zenith and immediately the next page, he just eviscerates everybody with his superpower. Yeah, go to hell. Zenith lets out a massive energy attack and wins? What? Yeah. Just like that, I guess? I mean, listen, he's the one punch man of this comic book. Seriously. I mean, I guess we have just all the stories up until then has just been the the bad guy talking vainly and then one punch man shows up. You know, I definitely. mean, it's my favorite thing about one punch man. Me too. That's, that's a great that, that's a great anime, definitely. I love that one too. Um but then floating nearby is Zenith's super powered son. Don't you remember me, Daddy? Oh, God, don't. When we first met, and my name was Ioxodot. Zenith's son was the Loigor that inhabited Master Man that Zenith fought in phase one. Ah! Oh, God. And it's so horrible. Children are a gaping maw of a thousand teeth looking yeah, to eat his their own fathers. This is massive like- Lovecraftian mouth enveloped <laughs> Zenith, turning him into little more than a charred corpse. So, anyway, the the end of Zenith, uh, you know, (laughs) no more Zenith stories. No, sorry. Next time on Zenith Fox, walking backwards. So, I'll I'll say this much. For a comic book that is named Zenith and has very little to do with Zenith until Zenith finally does a a Zenith. um, Man, oh, man. (laughs) I, I felt seeing his dead body. I was like, yeah, I mean. Okay. <laughs> so, also, well, like, don't okay. have hell children if he you didn't can. Know? I he mated with his own maybe sibling, mother. a clone of his own mother. But also, it was the it was the early eighties. You know, no one knew about safe sex yet. Fox, that's just sort of like I'm you know, just saying don't have sex. But that's I'm saying all right. do but wrap it up, buddy. You know, well, come on. okay, yeah, that's fine. I, I'm just saying what you're gonna get is Ioxotot. Get your 1% kryptonite uh, uh, condom in there. I'm just going to go to town. <laughs> it's It's got like kryptonite gel in the tip. Yeah. Just uh, it's just enough so you don't like blow, blow out Lois Lane's back or whatever when you go. Oh you my know? God. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like. You got to be depowered a little bit, buddy. You know, we, we everyone's talked about this. All right, this is this is covered what, ground. Superman right? being absolutely dangerous in all aspects of his life, yeah, and just various superhero sexually. Listen, go to the Kevin Smith podcast. All right, that's every episode from what I've I been mean. Told, this is whatever. well, it's part of why I love the Tick in general. Anybody who doesn't know what the Tick is should get qualified. Go read it; it's so good. Yeah. I just, you know, I don't get to talk about superheroes that much on this on this comic book podcast, and I feel the need sometime. Anyway. <laughs> There's the tick. Read the tick. Anyway. I have. What are you, insulting me? No. Here we go. Anyway, Fox. Well, it, was, it was good. Man, we've, we've read some good things, Conrad. Isn't that great? Reading good things? <sighs> Non-thrills, covers, <laughs> and nerve centers. <laughs> There's still some good stuff to talk about. Prague 800, 800 progs, dude. We've made it. Finally, it's happened to be 800 progs for me and you. 
really you know we're in the in the final fifth of the of the comics that i've read like i talked about a little earlier very excited to get to this like it's not undiscovered country fox but like i said i was reading a little fast and there are a lot of thrills that i either skimmed over or didn't read in this era which is not maybe the greatest compliment for them but still like i'm excited to get in depth and in the nitty-gritty with you buddy and just looking back on the 800 on the 799 thrills before this oh god frogs before this it's amazing to see how far we've come it's really fun i love love doing this podcast love making these milestones hey man like we nailed it eight eight hundred two hundred and fifty episodes no 62 62 episodes <laughs> anyway thousands more to go oh uh, my god sean no, phillips draws stop it a very twisty and muscular judge red on this cover with lots of thrill titles because you know these round numbers we're really starting to be, see these be big relaunches or like sort of attempts to bring in new readership and things like that Inside, we've got the new look nerve center. It looked like this uh, basically until the mid-900s, I think. But there's going to be a lot of variations as we go. Um, I think they've basically they bought some editorial layouts, like some 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 publishing layout software. So they're going to be messing around with stuff as we go forward. Uh, Tharg welcomes us to the new nerve center and lays out the basic concept of the comic, including helpful Beetlejuicean sayings. Mid prog, there's an ad for next week's prog, but it's actually a misprint, so it's got the copy for prog 802 instead of for 801, which I thought was kind of a fun mistake. The input page is a picture of Throg the Sprog, Bradley style. Letters about pets with 2000 AD names, uh, hard to see f- a photo of a fence post that looks like Tharg, compliments for Judgment Day, and then complaints about there being complaints. And the prog ends with a look at the new Judge Dredd magazine, which of course we'll be talking about later this week. Yee. And this prog also came with a micro guide, Fox. I, I, I believe I included these. Yeah, it um, was, it was issues. neat. I thumbed through it a little bit. Uh, it was it was good to remember some of them. Although I love how some of the the progs them or, or rather the thrills themselves are generally it's like this thing happened. We did not mm-hmm. name it. Here are the people who did it. <laughs> like there's some of those in there where it's like a thing. Shrug. Yeah, definitely. Um, so these guys are these booklets that have indexes of 2080 stories in alphabetical order with issue appearances and listings of creative teams. We've seen something similar to this in some recent specials and annuals. And while, you know, maybe not the greatest reading because it's very much just sort of text, black text on white backgrounds. There aren't even like pictures of any of the thrills or anything like that. This does serve the same purpose that, say, Barney over 2080.org now serves, you know. Feels feels very similar. Like if you're you're a nerd and you want to be able to check out who did what, then this is an, an essential resource. Uh, and, th- and this one covers all the non-dread thrills, not counting future shocks and similar anthology stories. Prog 801, Flesh Megabyte, oh, it's Chainsaw Man versus T-Rex in a very fun Carl Critchlow cover. I like the this one. Chainsaw is called Chainosaurus. Good. <laughs> that's the brand. In the nerve center, oh, Thark says fair. that- Because <laughs> it'll cut off the head of a dinosaur. Purpose built. Um, even with Prog 800 in the books, there's more stuff to come, including Finn's return in Prog 807 and Revere in 809. Tharg even mentions the micro. Tharg then mentions the micro guide, guide and plugs all the pluggables, including graphic novel, a graphic novel signing at the Virgin Megastore. 
The nerve center ends with a picture of ju- of Dark Judge Frosty, the snowman, letter yes. writers experiencing thrill power overload from Judgment Day, and appreciation for all the rave stuff that's been in 2080 recently. Mm. Have you ever prog- played um, Clay Fighters? Oh, yes. But yeah, not that's for a long time. Frosty, that's their Frosty. Looks like that. <laughs> nice. Anyway. The prog ends with an ad for a slate of new 2000 AD graphic novels, including Killing Time, Chronicles of Chaos, and a bunch of democracy-themed dread stuff, along with just Judgment on Gotham and some magazine tales. The A to 1 Mega Guide has the production details and some small descriptions for Dread's adventures from Prog 2 to 7.99. I think it's interesting. There's there's a lot of listings of like when and when a fans, when a cool um, writer or sorry, artist comes on Dread basically. Like they'll say like Dread by Balland or first Dread by Smith or Dread by Ascara or something like that. Because, you know, the credits for Dread, especially for the first, like, 10 or 12 years or so, are weird because you're just typing, like, Wagner people. or Wagner yeah. and Grant over and over again. Only the artists change, you know? Exactly. Pr- Prog 802, he is the law. Cliff, Drob- Cliff Robinson draws a very frowny Dread co- uh, cover. I really love just the definition and wrinkles on Dread's uniform in this cover. In the nerve center, Tharg teases that past Prog 809 will eventually get the return of of Dead Meat, Robo Hunter, and The Clown by the end of 1992, though I will say that The Clown doesn't actually come back fully until 1994. He also plugs the final micro-guide in 2000 AD, um, appearing at the UK Comic Art Convention, and of course, Fox, UCAC remains a funny na- um, acronym. It is hilarious. <laughs> UCAC. <laughs> UCAC. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, mid-prog, there's an ad with a ton of fine print offering a free 25 pounds to students who open a bank account. Cool kids open bank accounts, Fox. Everybody knows it. Um, there's also an I ad got, for I a got roped fle- into one of those when I was a kid, by the way. Gotta didn't be, didn't do careful. shit for me other than uh, I had to pay five bucks a month because I didn't have enough money inside the bank account. Like, they actually mm-hmm. charged my parents for yeah. me owning the bank account. Ooh, what a life. What a what a, what an economy, you know? Um, there's also a half-page ad that feels very half-hearted to me of a Fleetway Superman comic. Because the page is mostly white. It's just, like, with just the Superman logo and a picture of Superman in it. And it's very confusing to me because the text says, Hero of the Day. But then the comic comes out every two months. <laughs> like, those seem to be... Like, that seems like Hero of the Quarter would be a more apt title. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, look at you. Yeah, listen. Or I don't know. I don't know what two months is, actually. The four, well, two, it's three not a, months a, a is four. usually a quarter, right? So. Yeah, but two months is whatever. Of yeah, the well, every month. two months, it's like, what the? F- yeah, well, it's the same. It's just a big gap between issues is what I'm trying to say. A lot of early Marvel comics came out every two months, Fox. That's because in that era, DC actually owned all the printing presses and only let them put out eight superhero comics a month. Oh my God, really? Yeah. And so in so that fair. era, they put out – yeah, they, they they had to let them do it for antitrust things. But it wasn't until uh. like the late <laughs> six, the late 60s that, that Marvel got their own printing presses and put out new comics. That's also why – I don't know. If you're into Silver Age stuff, there's a lot of um, like double comics basically. So like Captain America and Iron Man would be – were in the same comic. Um, my Boy Doctor Strange shared a comic with first the Human Torch's solo stories and then Nick Fury and stuff like that. Ooh. It's because they, and then 
other comics for every two months because they can only put out eight comic books a month, basically, uh, until okay. they were able to get their own presses or sign a deal with, with you know presses that weren't re- as restrictive. And then they ma- made all those comics their own comics. It was a big – it's a big diaspora moment for spreading these comics out in like 69 or something like that. Like making comics seems like such a hassle. It really does. It's a I real hassle. All- in all ways, in all ways. Anyway, I'm sorry, everybody, for this non-2000 AD digression, but I read this book and I really – or I know a lot about the Silver Age stuff and I think it's really interesting. Um, the input page is a pretty nice picture of Judge's death and dread. It's by Zach Williams, who I'm assuming is a different one than Robin Williams' son. Their names are spelled the same. Letters ask if Judge Death would be cool with Sabat. Compliment the action special, which we'll get to soon. Request more ABC Warriors and Rogue Trooper and are excited for the return of Zenith. And the prog ends with a pinup for Wireheads. What's real? This world. <laughs> Or Paraspace. We'll find out this episode. The final micro guide is a checklist of all the progs of 2018 up to 799 with notes about uh, different milestones in certain progs, like when a thrill starts, big dread plot points, and important writers and artists doing things. Um, it does make you think about the ground we've covered, definitely. And the prog ends with uh, ends by suggesting that you should, or sorry, the guide ends by che- by suggesting that you check comic book shops and collector magazines for old pro or for old progs, and you should expect <laughs> to pay more than the cover price. And prog one could cost up to fifty pounds. I mean, because God knows we're not gonna print any more of that shit because uh, reasons. I mean, it's literally – I mean, at, at this point, it's because they've lost the licenses to some things. You know, you can't reprint prog – like those early progs because someone else owns the rights to Dan Dare. You can't, like, print Dan Dare shit without, like, paying them. <laughs> it's true. Well, <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, all, all of the original prints were destroyed when he dropped a bomb on the planet. Always. Uh, also, here's where I get up on my soapbox and I say that almost no early prog of 2000 AD can be in near mint condition, which people talk about in comics times, just because of the quality of the paper and the fact that if uh, one of these progs is handled at all, it just it's just going to get some damage and not be near mint. It's like having a near mint glass of milk that's 40 years old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Battle damage, or as I guess with the milk thing, it's just rotten. Don't well, smell yeah, the I, pages. And that's what I'm saying with the paper that these progs are made out of. Like, yeah, it's no, a, you, you gotta, know, gotta have that shit of, vacuum sealed, I guess. Like, yeah, like the idea of a near mint, of, of like a perfectly preserved 2000 AD prog, just why would you do it? Like, you'd, it'd have to be someone, like, like someone ha- bought it and then they fell in like a bog or like it oh, was in a plastic in, bag they and they fell and they fell in a, a bog that boing. kept it yeah perfectly preserved in an airless situation which you would just never do with a comic in 1977 especially one of these progs that's just made out of newsprint without even like a fancy cover or anything anyway for speaking it's of not an airless situation <laughs> <laughs> Prog 803, Marshall vs. Dread in Law Wars, and this Sean Phillips covers, and you could win a Super Nintendo scope, buddy. Uh, listen, I'm not going to say that you shouldn't get it. I am going to say that the limited use in which the Super Scope was used, pretty fucking limited. Yep. <laughs> 
In the Nerve Center, Tharg talks up the Nintendo contest and mentions a free Judge Dredd badge coming with the complete Dredd this this month and promises to explain the process of creating the prog over the next few Nerve Centers to answers all the letters he gets off, mostly from kids who are writing papers about 2018 and they want to know how the process is. going to help you with your A-levels in the next couple of months, so keep buying 2018. Jesus. <laughs> Thought you said proboscis, by the way. I thought that was funny. And then I process. I don't know. What we were talking about, which was way less interesting. Hey, Super Scope. Mm-hmm. Mid-prog, there's an ad. Yeah, Super Scope ad, which is a light gun for the Super Nintendo. I remember being modular, so you could have a couple different versions of the gun, but many of them didn't work very well, I guess. This is just sort of junk to sell so, peripherals. So I, I, I have played with the Super Scope 6 on the intended hardware it was for. Or mm-hmm. the the game that was for, which I believe, uh, yeah, there's like a called? Super Scope Six like yeah. cartridge. Like, so I that was literally all that it ever got made for. Like it, yeah. It, so because the the light gun periphery for like Duck Hunt, that was the only light gun game realistically that anyone got, and that's why it got packaged with everything. So they thought the Super Scope Six was going to do like gangbusters because it looked like a bazooka. It was just another like robot friend mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it never well, took off. Yeah. But I, the reason that I bring all of this up is that the company that makes the light refracting um, modules and stuff, whatever, inside of the light gun from NES mm-hmm. and these the, the <clears throat> Nintendo Scope 6, um, like the companies that made it, right? Yeah. Nintendo has never stopped working with them. So they mm. they they are continuing to this day to continue to work with the company that made all of those things. So it's a very interesting piece of information that bears literally nothing upon this comic book, but it's information stored <laughs> in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, just like how I was about to go in a jag about the importance of those peripherals in the expansion of the Ninten- of the of the original Nintendo system. But then when what but which got kids in the door to playing video games so that yes. when the Super Nintendo came out, they were just willing to play the video games. They didn't need come ons like guns and uh, robots to sell. Yeah, that console, exactly. Basically. Well, I mean, like just track and field the game that sold. I don't know if you ever saw that thing for the, of course, the original. I, my ten- Nintendo was a power pad <laughs> Nintendo, buddy. I, pl- I replayed so, that game with all my cousins on Christmas yeah, Day. And you'd all be, you didn't do the, like the hurdle jumps. You just kept running through it because there were three other people behind you just jamming on the pad with their feet. Yeah, I jumped yes. over those hurdles, buddy. Guess what, but Zoomers? I, I jumped. There, I jumped there was off. A time. I jumped off the power pad for the long oh, jump. Oh no, though. no, That's no! The key. You lose time. You lose. I'm not even kidding. You lose time. You just got to run through the hurdles, except except the the minuses, because no one is gonna jump <laughs> fast we, enough. I mean, I was, I was, we were like, I was like eight years old, man. I was good. Anyway, okay, we can't. Okay. I, I, I love, refuse to I love fall this down segue. These. <laughs> fall down these these tunnels of us talking about our youth fox oh man in output there's a picture of a floaty judge anderson and letters asking for more bad company it'll be here next year congratulating tharg on prog 800 asking which pop star tharg likes what zenith's dad's powers were 2000 magazine appearances request more strontium dogs finn and the clown which i've got some questions about but there will be more strontium dogs by the end of the year and also, I should mention that the exit poll is huge now. It takes up like the bottom quarter yeah, of the page, basically. It was massive. And also, wasn't Zenith's dad just a bullet that exploded? 
I forget. His name was White Heat, I think. Yeah, no, he had like a bullet suit or something like that, and he just did an explosion once in a while. I I know the the comic gives the joke answer that he was the first white guy that had rhythm um, and whatever. That doesn't make sense, but that's fine. Keep moving. Anyway, speaking of the halcyon days of youth, Fox, as we talked about our (laughs) video game use and things like that. I don't I I wouldn't put this in Halcyon and I'm ready to get controversial. Yeah, sorry. Speaking of the dark and disturbing days of youth, Fox, let's talk about Thrill Four, the Journal of Luke Kirby. Make children watch horror movies before they go to sleep is the is the first chapter of this thing. It's fine. <laughs> Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot John Ridgway, letting robot Eddie Parkhouse. We're back with Luke Kirby and Fox. All I'm here for is John Ridgway drawing the terrified faces of children. That's all I want. I want I scared nails kids. It. Nails I need them. So we last saw Luke Kirby way back in Prague 1988. And after a few appearances in, sorry, plot essential appearances and specials and annuals, <laughs> he's finally back in the Prague. And he's on this he's on a nice middle class street. I'd like to put that up front. Yeah. We open on so lots yeah, of nice sto- lighting. People have cars. They have little gardens in front. They probably have little gardens in back. They can say hello to their neighbor. It is a normal. It's a normal town. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, the previous story took place in summer of 1962. Now we're in fall of 1963. God, in, it's only been a year since yeah. this shit happened. In Westrum, Kent. It's spelled Westerham Fox, but I'm pretty sure Westrum is is, is how you say it, but I, hopefully I'm not, I'm not going to say it too much. Yeah, you're um, asking the wrong person. I live here. I don't speak it. It's the last weekend before school starts, and Luke has just watched Mark of the Vampire and dreams of walking downstairs to... A cellar to the cellar, though his house doesn't have one, and finding yeah, hey. a cloaked figure in the messy darkness. And it's Bella Lugosi with his cousin Kim. No, man. I'll tell you this much, actually, especially at living out of Cambridge, because I, I know someone who just bought a house. They have a cellar and everybody who's been helping them kind of like fix the house up. They've come down and seen it. They're like, oh, shit, you have a cellar. This is awesome. I know there's almost no no cellars in uh, in California because of earthquakes and stuff. Yeah, like exactly. That. I think the of the I soil. think it's just more common in like the the much older houses. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. But it depends on where you are here because there's not like earthquakes. I guess. Yeah, but there could be like you know bog monsters down there or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you works. know Scooby Doo esque villains. Who knows. Always. Luke awakens in the morning to be called down by his friends, and as mo- at his mom's request, they play football outside his house where she can see him. The kids are all out on the street as... Well, a, um, a, by the way, Con- I'm going to interrupt you so much in this. Yeah. It's a really good thing that his mother uh, didn't send him away to the park and is in eyeshot of where her children are. Uh, strangely enough that maybe somebody who went through a traumatic experience alongside of her child, might want to make sure that that child is in eyeshot. Also because of of current events going on in this town, which we'll find out later in in this part of the story. Interesting. Uh, Cousin Kim is listening to the radio, the story um, I'm Telling You Now by Freddie and the Dreamers. Uh, Luke likes Kim, and we learned in a previous and special. And they are cousins. I want to. Be, I want to underscore that point too, because I'm not going to talk make, about it much. 
Let me tell you two things that are important, Fox. One, Luke and Kim are cousins, 100%. Two, in a sci-fi special a couple years ago, Luke's uncle died and he was the and between or not that not the uncle from Summer Magic, but a different right. one died. Yeah, yeah. And in when Luke visited that uncle on his deathbed, he went to an Asian themed dream an Asian mysticism themed dreamscape. Oh god. Where this he did child some magical stuff where he did some magical stuff and Opium. then was told that no, it is all I mean Maybe in his mind, Above but whatever. Board. Anyway, he was told that he was now the protector of all the Kirby women because he's the last man of the bloodline surviving, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that, but that's fine. Yep. Didn't read it. There you go. Not going to make a comment. Anyway, but then he sees a beardless old ho- – oh, sorry, a bearded old homeless guy come along. Hey, why not? knows nothing would be the same. Luke sees the man and trips over one of his friends who falls and gets Scrapes a big bloody gash bad. on his knee. Listen, as someone who is currently healing from a pretty bad scraped knee, I, I felt a lot of empathy for this kid, Fox. It sucks. Um, definitely. I just – I'm just – I'm like sca- – I, I just scabbed over a couple so, days ago. And now so, I'm Conrad, I, 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 I have a question for you. Might be a couple of questions. Okay. okay. So you 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 did a, a bad damage sheer knee, right? That's Similar right. To I tripped outside a, outside a subway franchise in Studio City, California, Fox. So, I, I mean, really, like, think about all of the, the gunk gook and things that you need to be – Yes. They need I, some antiseptic there, right? I finished my job <laughs> and – or I finished my jog and immediately went home and washed the wounds because it was yeah. not a good situation. So so let me ask you this. Instead of going inside and washing your wound, maybe applying something that, you know, would really clean it like some kind of alcohol-based product, uh, what if uh, an old vagabond slash vagrant slash homeless person – decided to like rub a leaf on their mouth with spit and then mm-hmm. rub that like weed leaf, whatever it is on your wound in order to heal it. Uh, would that supplant the need to go inside and, and kind of clean that up? Well, let me say, all right, I don't want to be dissing folk remedies, Fox, because I, I, I will diss folk remedies so long as they thousand, are not in clinical trials. There's thousands of years where people lived by using herbs and things like that. Like I haven't read the Outlander books, but I know that they herb herbs for healing and other ailments there, factor heavily there are in those. Herbal guides, you are correct. And does so, that include a, a a person's spit? It could, but but should it? Maybe not, but I will say that you can't argue with the success that <laughs> when he does when the when this guy does this, instead of having a giant gash on his leg, he's basically the, the there's some residual blood, but the leg is now completely unharmed. I'm not saying that homeless people aren't magic. I'm simply saying that I don't believe that a leaf and a homeless spit are magic. Well. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to. Uh, I I also don't want to come down too hard on people experiencing homelessness, Fox. That's a tough time. Oh no, 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 and no! I think Listen, we can all everybody, appreciate every, everybody the deserves world could a use net. more empathy and every, stuff like look, that. I'm a, uh, you know, but me. I will I will agree with you that I 
just uh, like if okay, I'm hurt, I, I don't know if I homeless. want a strange, a strange Stranger adult spitting. to just come up and help me. You know, exactly. Like I, I am a, I am a, I am a, I am a geriatric millennial. I come from the era of stranger danger. Just don't talk to me. Leave me be. If I'm crying on the street, Hi. then I'll get home eventually. I'm okay with a stranger <laughs> coming up and helping me. I'm less okay with them saying I can fix this by spitting on a leaf and rubbing it on your knee. It is weird. For the record, you're right. And as he, as the tramp does this, he um, asks Luke why he isn't able to do this sort of thing and completely heals the kid's leg, and then says that he'll see Luke again as the sun sets. Oh, it's good Luke to said, it's good to have a dark promise. Yeah, <laughs> I'm coming says, down on this. Yeah, he says he's not <laughs> that that it's not a big deal, but he knows that's not true. Um, and we, or sorry, Luke's mom comes out and asks what's going on. Luke basically says nothing as he kind of looks off. Um, but he knows that's not true. And we also see the headline that on the newspaper his mom has, which says, th- uh, third child missing. So she, besides her own personal situation, she might have just wanted to keep an eye on the kids because kids have been going missing in this town recently. So, so I, I would say that that is particularly interesting that as a person who has children, Knowing that there are some child abductions, things going on, uh, you might want to keep a closer eye, which she did, and maybe not immediately trust anybody who spits on a leaf and rubs it on a child. Fair enough. Luke Kirby is woken up by a big thunderstorm as it's all in the game by Tommy Edwards plays on the radio. He goes downstairs and sees his mom is awake and crying over a framed photograph. This this not- actually made me honestly very sad because it's the through line from the other um, absolutely it, it like i like that personalization because again the kids just looking through the banisters he's he specifically said i hadn't seen her cry in a long time not for more than a year and i imagine it's because died. she's yeah. yeah well and i imagine it's because she's hiding it and it's such a, like I mean, I've been through situations like that as a kid, not one necessarily where my parents are, are dead or whatever, but I've, you know, sure. I've been, you've yeah. been a kid well, you see, and you've seen see that a private kind of moment that your parents have for yeah. sure. And, and it, it's, it, I think again, goes to the benefit of the Luke Kirby story where it, it is like very raw. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not disturbing her, Luke goes back to bed as Cliff Richard comes on the radio with Shindig and flashes back to a year ago when he shot his uncle Elias. We see the body being carried away as a cop in a suit talks to a uniformed cop and says Elias probably accidentally shot himself. We Mm. learned that Luke was sent to the country because his mom had a breakdown after Luke's dad died. And the guy... Yeah. And the guy in the suit says to keep all this out of the press and send Luke home gets in the back of the car and says that's the end of it. Luke reflects that after he got home, he ended up sort of looking after his fragile mother as much as she was looking after him while teaching himself magic, transmuting metal, learning to control the air, including weather and even flying. Hey, I mean, whatever keeps your mind off of everything. Yeah, flying is a bit more complicated. Luke's powers are growing and he reflects that he's the last male of the Kirby line. So protecting the woman folk is sort of his responsibility, which is fair but weird, I guess. He looks out his window and sees the tramp and he wonders who's looking out after Luke. Ooh. I, I, so <laughs> there is nothing that I would hate more than waking up in the middle of the night, looking out onto the street that I'm on and seeing someone stare up at my window. 
Just in the middle of a, of a rainstorm. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> just pointing that out. Mm. On Saturday afternoon, Luke Kirby and a few other boys and his cousin Kim listening to She Loves You by the Beatles on her radio go to look around an old abandoned house. Luke doesn't really like it in there. It's too cold somehow. So instead he sits outside and enjoys the stillness of nature. It's got some latent, uh, uh, you know. uh, Magiciness or whatever. Exactly. He he knows when shit's not, uh, you know, she loves you and, uh, you know, you should be glad, etc. I really, um, yeah, for sure. I really love these uh, water, these uh, nature watercolors oh, that Ridgeway may, does I, here. I, these backgrounds yeah. and stuff. I've been, I've been holding off a bit on the art. It is fantastic. I, I would almost, I would almost call it pastel, right? It mm-hmm. feels like it's done with heavy Good, markers, almost. Exactly. No, 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 no. I, I'm just, I'm commenting because it's the same thing. Is when you're looking at the flowers, they're very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's just there. Nothing is very clearly defined in the foreground mm-hmm. or the background in yeah. some cases, and I love that smudgy. Yeah, it's got kind of an impressionistic opaque. look to yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So suddenly Luke hears two things. He powers up his magic, but it turns out to be the tramp again. Luke's suspicious of the man, but they lock eyes, and he realizes that this man is an alchemist, like his uncle. Hey, look at that! He's been the- following you. Mm. The tramp says there isn't time, but Luke should get his friends away from here. It's an evil place. Luke walks away as the tramp promises to contact Luke later. Luke returns to his friends. One has found some manor porn in the house. Good times. Um, And they're going to check the basement over Luke's objection. And because he objects, they make him go first as Save the the Last Dance for Me by the Drifters plays. He walks down the stairs, but trips and falls to the bottom of them, coming face to face with a screep with a creepy skeleton hand. And let me—I want to say one thing about the writing of this story, Fox, and, <laughs> and about the about the music specifically. And we know Al McKenzie's a big music fan, and I appreciate him yeah, curating this in. this song list of 1960s music and stuff. Absolutely, it is really funny because I feel like the way they're written on the page makes these songs sound creepy when they're yes! actually very upbeat dance songs if you were to actually listen to them you know like Fucking going correct. to an like the idea of like when you it's like one of those key like I, I i'd really love to see a movie of this with just all these songs done in like minor chords and slow tempos basically well, i mean it's because it's, it's stand by me but if all of the music was uh covers if that makes because sense. The, yeah. Because the way they draw it, the way that even the words are drawn and things are pulled out. Oh, like, yeah. Imagine um, like where it becomes kind of an ominous dirge. She loves you when you walk into um, a, a, a haunted house as opposed to like, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, yeah. Like like that, you know. She these loves upbeat. you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If someone yeah. – like when – like when that guy did that um, one uh, sad version of a Mad World, for instance, you know, and how that become like for uh, what you call it. it oh, I mean, God. it took over the Mad World song, basically. Yeah. That is now the one by for uh, for Donnie Darko, where that where, where that or like that one Gears of War <laughs> ad that I first heard it on. Mm-hmm. That's where it's like about like being like like a sad dirge as opposed to a weird um, new wave song. You know what I mean? Well, and and it, so. <sighs> Yeah, it just makes it 
it, you know, because I was looking, I was listening to these songs, and I feel like they all felt very creepy when I was reading them on the page. Yes. And when I listened, when I listened to them on YouTube, it was like this is a very incongruous. Well, no, and I, and I again, it's it's to the um to to the effect of the prose itself and everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm and again laying this. I you look, I'm gonna lay this on thick. I tell all your friends to go away except for you. Oh, you're going into that basement. I told you not to go in there, but as soon as you do, there's a dev freaking dead body and everything other than like the the oh, there's only ever like a couple of lines from someone out of frame or from Luke himself, right? Yo, oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. The music is what's overlaying everything and it's in its own text box if mm-hmm. that makes sense like it's meant to well, yeah, like, have bubbles, this effect guess, of yeah. staticky you know walkman radio effect and while you know certainly yeah, transistor what she, radio i'd imagine yeah exactly and what she's listening to would be that song you're looking at all the visuals especially as he's going down it's creepy so are you yeah. hearing that song while this is happening or is that song while this is happening changing the lyrics, which I think, again, mm-hmm. you know, it, if you don't think that there is a, a like a clear thing that that Mackenzie Ridgeway, um, the letterer, any Parkhouse are trying to accomplish here, I don't think you're reading it. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, well, I listen, I think there's a difference between the fact that it's a horror comic generally and sort of our more complicated theories. But I don't want to get into that at this point. That might let's let, let's kind of save some of that stuff for later in the story, I think, because I think there's more for that as as we go forward. Um that evening cops are swarming the house and Luke's mother has shown up. It seems um an escaped crazy man has killed a local kid and Luke found the body. The situation, of course, reminds him of what happened with Uncle Ellis because of all the cops, especially as a suited cop, Fucking tells them thing. to yeah, tells them to keep inside until they find this maniac. Though I do believe it's a different uh, cop. The dead boy's been missing for forty-eight hours, but Luke thought the, thinks the corpse looks much older. Oh, I mean, it was Some, it was it was like not decayed. desiccated and stuff. It, yeah, yeah, it it was like devoid of of um of any sort of I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's like there, there's like no water in it left. Yeah, it's like the, kind of mummified or something. Yeah. Um, the di- uh, something strange is going on as Luke sees the tramp stand in a crowd of lo- of onlookers and then disappear. Something magic is happening. Luke listens to "Return to Sender" by Elvis as he looks out the window, waiting for the tramp. Then reaches out with his mind and hears a voice in his head shouting his name. Luke sneaks out into the dark town. Into the, into the dark town streets and follows the voice back to the old house, down the stairs and into the basement where the tramp is warning, warming his hands on a trash can fire. He explains Which is what that, you do in a basement. Yes. Not a ventilation situation, certainly. The tramp explains that death has come to Luke's town, not unlike the death his uncle Elias brought. The tramp can stop it, but he'll need Luke's help. Next time, the evil. So, Conrad. So far, I'm I'm gonna be the voice here and say, look, I I don't want to be followed by anybody. I don't care mm-hmm. if you're a tramp or or someone I know to have follow me everywhere to know my things. 
to coax me into a basement where they have a fire set, regardless of magic, right? Uh, and and I know that I spoke to you a little bit before this about like, hey, what's the difference between this and Harry Potter? The answer is a school um, and a lot less uh, intensity. I came into this with open eyes. I'm like, hey, it's it's Luke Kirby. You know, I know that we we spoke a little bit about this prior in the original mm-hmm. story. Like, look, I if if you don't think that there is an amount of sinister nature that is within this comic, not saying who is or what is at this point, because I haven't read the whole thing. Um, you know, would I would I want to go as a person into a cellar and meet the person who spat on a leaf and rubbed some? Like all of this to me, it's all red flags and not red flags because all strangers bad. It's because this child seems to be followed by people who under 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 no supervision of anybody uh, is alone in doing these things. I like very much the dark angles of this comic. I Mm -hmm. like very much how it is stylized again, like art is perfect. The darkness uh, of the comic is perfect. It is all meant to be that this thing is creepy and supernatural. Um, Mm -hmm. But man, oh man, (laughs) this child gets coaxed into situations with old, older people that are that he doesn't know. Not really into situations that are fucking dangerous and he does, yeah, he does frequently find himself in secluded situations with strange old guys. <laughs> and <laughs> like, and to me, you know, I, I would love, I would love a moment to speak with Mackenzie about like, hey, like, was there any anything going into that, like that you were trying to put into it? Like, like magic is dangerous or that, you know, uh, you know, being a child in a world where these things are happening or, you know, I just would love to pick the brain of the person who thought about this or the, the whole team, quite frankly, because again, mm-hmm. I'm not getting feelings of like, okay, there's, there's some undertone of, of something horrible happening, but I, I can't see talking to anybody about this. Who's read it saying like, Oh, none of these things matter, right? All of this matters. They they set up how fucked the family is, even predicated to this. And it's still going on in this person's life, in this child's life, which I, I find absolutely fascinating about this. I am enjoying the Journal of Luke Kirby, The Nightwalk. Nice. I would not say that there isn't subtext going. I would I would say that nothing in this is actual text. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's an ominous start, absolutely. And I think that's what you'd want for a horror comic, no matter what. You know, that, and, and that's basically what Luke Kirby is. I mean, as, as we'll see, it's about scary stuff. It's about kids dealing with um, difficult things, learning about magic, all kinds of stuff. I, and, I well, and, that's, and, well, and that's being a kid, right? Like, like being a child is learning about this kind of shit. I just don't know if I'd want to go into a basement with a, a, a person I don't know. <laughs> That's again, all. Yeah, again, I grew up with Stranger Danger. Like it's it's it goes with, like these but, actions but like, feel very like, quaint in 1963, but don't I don't know. It's a but whole even, thing. But even outside of that, like 
I I wouldn't want my nephew going sneaking out at night and going into a basement with somebody, right? Like that's that's terrifying yeah. to me. And they're like 20, right? So it's it's still to me it's it's the like the terror of the comic is very much predicated on the fact that like yes there is magic, but that might also be terrifying, right? Yeah. This child is being confronted with quite a bit that that even an adult I feel like might not be able to handle. That's all. Um, For sure, I love it. It this is good comics in my mind. Nice, yeah. No, I think it, I I'm excited for this to get to get into this story as well. But speaking of comics that are too much for an Man. adult to handle, Fox. All right, uh, God, putting on the sunglasses and saying I'm checking out. <laughs> <laughs> Thrill Five Robo Hunter. God, remember when they just found this place and they're all like they had to add like a hippie to it and like there's so much. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Jose Casanovas and Jose Casanovas Jr. Leg robot Tom Frame. Robo Hunters, Sam Slade, Ducky Leather Pants, along with artificially (laughs) youth child captain kid. Have arrived in Normoville, the lair of the elusive Doc Magnet, uh, elusive Master Robo Hunter Doc Magnet, which seems to be a white picket suburban fence para- or a white picket fence suburban paradise with Robo Hunter, sorry, with robot kids on tricycles and God knows what else. I the forgot lads greeted her, her by- surname was Leather Pants, by the way. His name, yeah. It, the lads me. are greeted by a dude that's kind of a mix of classic Stan Lee and Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. Doc Magnet's all around us, true believers. He's everywhere. This dude is a one-armed pacifist robo-hunter taken in by Doc Magnet during the Doc's liberation of a few meat police camps. Soon, they arrive at the stately two-story home of of Doc Magnet. As he smokes his pipes and gets... As he smokes his pipe and gets the newspaper, he offers them all coffee... And uh, back at Meet Police HQ, it looks like the doc has managed to oh, – sorry, the uh, robot doctors have managed to rebuild and upgrade Sam's former robo-meter and fiancé, Cutie. She's now more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Remember when Robo-Hunter was like, we hired you and you just have to shoot robots? Naturally, she wakes up, eats the doctor <laughs> working on her faces off, and then goes and confronts a squad of meat policemen. In the Doc Magnet ca- uh, kitchen, the Robo Hunt, um, he's a Robo Hunter and swell guy. The crew drinks coffee that's made of dirt, and Magnet explains that he can't help them escape Virtus and tells the tale of how the meat police found Virtus's big brain, <laughs> repaired and rebuilt him, and then made him their god. Big brains got a hard on for Robo Hunters and living <laughs> beings in general. <laughs> He's even built some kind of cancer machine, which will destroy all life and existence. Oh, I forgot about that because it never really comes back up. Yep. And Magnet doesn't plan to stop him elsewhere. And and invincible and unstoppable cutie is destroying me police officers, then flies off with the built-in jetpack into the sky to kill Sam over the protests (laughs) of the big brain itself. So so to be fair, because like – I was reading this, but it didn't make sense to me. My brain had had just stored in it, like, oh, she can fly now. No, she I didn't does even have a, notice she, there, the jetpack. There jet is pack. a visible jetpack. Oh no, there out is. The there. No, I'm because I'm I'm going through this as we talk about it. Dumb. <laughs> mm. 
in a pointy red one piece cutie flies at super at hypersonic speeds to find sam she can hear his voice smell his scent meanwhile sam slade is caddying for doc magnet who's still unwilling to, to help him save the universe as cutie blasts her way into normalville she's wrecking shop including taking out some kind of nazi skeleton yeah, dude I don't which i don't know i don't know it wasn't even he must be one of the robo hunters that lives here as well, but I don't. He's got a swastika on him. And I don't like that very much myself. Um, uh, where am I? Oh God! Not Sorry. These robo hunters that live in Normalville arrive to fight her. There's a dude with a psychedelic torch, a little girl robo hunter with dolls, even the microscopic robo hunter, and they're all instantly destroyed by Cutie. The robot citizens beg Magnet for help, and he agrees to take care of it. He and Ducky Leatherpants walk back to his house as Kid and Slade run towards a nearby explosion. But as they walk, Ducky well, corners Magnet and runs him through with a golf club, which seems like man, it wouldn't hurt. What did I say when I said all of these people in his party don't matter? None of this Absolutely. matters. They're all traitors, and you were exactly right. As then Sam confronts the bloodlust-filled cutie, who starts blasting him with her hand laser. She got hand beams. Kid pulls a massive gun and says that wasn't part of the plan, and she just burns him to a crisp. She's a madwoman. Back at Robot HQ, the big brain realizes this, says something's wrong. Doc Magnet isn't quite dead, but the skin bomb should handle it. Cutie prepares to kill Sam when suddenly Magnet, run through by a putter, shows up tosses cutie aside and rips her limb from limb as these weird bone built bug ships made <laughs> yeah, sorry these weird bug ships made of human bones fly overhead and start carpet carpet bombing the place their target was magnet all along and then the bombs hit and there's i mean he's a cooler hero than sam you just like his pipe fox i know what you're like no like look i pipe in hand he has a putter through his chest and he's he ripping does, things apart he does seem to be doing a lot more than i would do with a putter stuck through my chest especially because it went through club head first fox that's tough yeah well oh god i mean you're hitting so many organs yeah a bloody chested magnet leads sam into his secret bunker of inventions as the meat police's flesh flesh hounds catch his scent they're hungry for flesh, but made of metal. That's what I mean by flesh hound, Fox. They're a hound <laughs> that goes after flesh, not a hound made of flesh. Magnet's got a teleporter down there somewhere. The meat police are tearing the place up. Everyone's hungry for Doc Magnet's uh, various body parts as the big brain realizes what Magnet's planning to do. The Doc finds a, po- a pocket-sized atom bomb and Which, orders Sam right. to strip, as you do. He then puts the naked Sam in a glass tube and prepares to power up the teleporter. Here's hoping it works this time. As he flicks the switch on the bomb and Sam begins to dematerialize, the meat police burst through the door and Magnet hits the button on his bomb, which envelops the house, the town, the big brain, and the entire world of Virtus in nuclear fire. So he does a dandare. I mean, it's an auto dandare because he blows himself up as well, you know? Well, I mean, he's a hero as opposed to a villain. Like Dan Dare. Auto-erotic <laughs> Dan Darification, Fox. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? There's nothing that would get you off more than getting that close to blowing up it. <laughs> or actually do, yeah. Oh, I guess that close. Yeah, you, you partially power up You want to be like, bomb, oh, I'm I so think. close to pressing this button. <laughs> gross. That's fucking gross, Fox. All right. <laughs> Sorry, you can cut that out. Cut it out. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sam terminators his way back to New York, you know, magically teleports oh, no, in I, naked Oh, no, and stuff. I know what you meant. 
What I love is that the magically descending cap also comes in. Because he's going to need that later appear. to cover his penis. Yeah. He's right in the middle of a crowded shopping distance. The local thinks he's weird. And I actually really like this image. At this this picture at the end is the Casanovas' draw. A really nice sort of sci-fi city scene at Christmas time. As Sam hails a cab. And Bud, you got to put some newspaper down if you're going to sit in here. Get out of here. The end of yes. Robo Hunter. So, so I'm going to I'm gonna preface this all right now. You know how I feel about Casanovas. And now Casanovas Jr. I love... The art. You know what I don't love? Why are Ooh, I we? I hope it's everything. It's Ugh. everything else, right? Like none of this matters. Our hero. Normally, I'm okay with a hero being supplanted by like, hey, I'm I'm the MacGuffin hero, whatever. Like it could be explained away fine. Uh, again, like what I led with is remember when Sam Slade was hired to hunt robots. Yeah, why and, can't he just fight a rat, fight a wacky robot? Why well, can't and, we just and like, have I'm some not fun? saying that it has to always be the same, right? Because you you need some change to the formula, right? Maybe, but, maybe. But, well, no, but I <laughs> I read the comic. I knew the the people he was teaming up with are were expendable, right? Whereas like Stogie uh, and Hoagie were not. I I wouldn't have labeled them as expendable. In no. the original, there were funny I mean, they jokes were sidekicks, and yucks. You know? Like, again, none of this needed to happen. None of it expanded on the universe in any way. And the end result was, uh, like, the, the best part, I would actually say, about this whole return to Virtus thing is his return nude having to hail a taxi. <laughs> like, that, that, was the, that was the funny part for me. I was like, and I was like, oh, and his cap landed on his head. Oh, and he used the cap to cover his genitals. That was good. And like, if that, if the whole thing was a punchline for that, the whole thing fucking sucked. Remember when mm-hmm. he was in the, it, like in the, in the uh, Disneyland thing? I miss those days. Remember when, okay, actually here, I'll do this. Remember when he, like the whole fucking thing of them singing the whole time was grating yeah. on our nerves that at least was like i sam slade the robo hunter am going to shoot robots and yeah. because they're annoying in this it's just like hey a pipe guy shows up and is more interesting than sam sam is an interesting character remember when he was a robo hunter but then the island thing happened he got kind of like chunky and so they like yeah. worked him out and he got like more fit and I, like there are things within you know Sam Sam Slade has the capacity to be a fun and interesting character you don't have to you don't have to add these new guys it seems and you like, also don't, don't have to reach into the past like to me the joke is always additive there's only so many time eh what's up doc is funny in Bugs Bunny right like mm-hmm. you can't just keep telling the same joke. I get it, but this joke isn't good. The joke is that Sam Slade is less interesting than any other character that you write, and those characters also. Eh. I I just I I had to read this Conrad, and I, yeah. I get it. Like any anybody listening to us, this is me bitching, but it's because I read it. I read everything. I looked at everything. 
And in in the pantheon of this this new 800s, why was this a thing that you didn't end prior to 800? You could have. You could have just exploded everyone and said, like, whoops, I guess it's the over. But I had to read this for for a couple more episodes before I got to something slightly more interesting. That's all. Uh, Sorry, I had to bitch about this because I read it. I will read Sam Slade, but I hate it. Yeah, (laughs) no, this is, again, this is like certainly my least favorite, one of my least favorite thrills we're currently looking at. Um, and it's always a pain when we get to it. Like I feel myself deflating when I get to the, like, and it's tough as a prog ender for me as well. Like I just haven't been having a good time with this very much. Why Um, would you put it at the, at the bookend? It's as important in some cases as Judge Dredd in that case, which I would have put flesh in this position. Yeah. I mean, we'll, now that it's over, we'll see things rejigger a little bit uh, next episode. I forget which en- what ends it. But anyway, this is the end of Robo Hunter for now, though we will be starting a new Robo Hunter before the year is out. Conrad, Ugh. I don't, that doesn't vote. Well, okay. I'm not going to, you know what? I'm going to come into it with open eyes again. I will. Let's do our best. I'm not going to yeah. shit on somebody before I read it, but this was bad. It was horrible and I hate it. And and uh, that's great. and that's not to say that, you know, everybody who worked on it is bad. Actually, you were quite good. Disparate parts. Fuck. I hated this. I hated it so much. Please, let's move on to the next thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, speaking of weird new weird new worlds, Fox, let's talk about Thrill 6 Wireheads. Weird. The opening yeah. is weird. Script robot Mark Isles, art robot, script robot Mark Isles, art robot Mike Hadley, letting robot Ellie DeVille. New thrill. We've seen Mark Isles before in a future shock. He'll go on to become more famous for writing for the uh, for the UK Sonic comic, actually. And he's worked pretty extensively in the UK uh, games Blue, industry, actually. Blue Hedgehog Sonic. Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. In, in, uh, yeah. that, I'm putting that away. Feather in my cap. Yeah. Mike Hadley, we've seen around a bunch, especially working with John Smith on the Fervent and Loathe adventure. This story starts with a slick pitchman saying, pitchman saying it's the year 2040 and talking about paraspace. And I'm not going to quote this because it's basically just the VR matrix. And by 2020, we can just accept this as a standard sci-fi setup. Look, what I what I love about it is like, hey, I'm in this thing. Look at me. I'm Superman. Also, look at me. I'm shooting a gun out of my now womanly boobs. Yeah. Now I'm ahead in a a rocket ship. Like the opening of this had me. I was like, this is eclectic enough and knows what the fuck it's doing. Yeah. And near the end. Oof. A good end intro to thing of, of a sci-fi intro to a new concept. Definitely. You can do and be what you want in Paris space, but normal people can only access it by wearing Paris suits, as we see gal pals, Patsy and Ginger planning to do. They've basically seen the commercial and now they're gonna go on vacation in mm. Paris space. But if you don't want to wear a suit, you can be a mirror full of cybernetic yeah, implants. You have to be a cyber person. I, I yeah, like we, I like that slip in because it's only about two sentences of just like this is what that is. Yeah, it's and then we very cut to one sci-fi. of those guys, a cool yeah. dude named Lamb with a pompadour and a high tech tuxedo. He slips into Paris space where a cyber samurai tells him someone's breaking into the corporate data zone, and Lamb goes to check it out. The he data finds zone. a giant robo ant chowing down on a Vicon, that's virtual reality icon, and instantly zaps it with a robot gun arm program that he summons hey, in a listen, word. Hey, listen, the dude loves himself some Metroid. 
I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamb leaves the ma- the matrix leaves this part of the matrix as a figure in a blue robe looks on impressed. We learn Lamb's full name is Lamborghini Taiachi, which awesome. means that Ios awesome has been reading name. Snow Crash as well as Neuromancer. <laughs> and the mirror returns at his home base where he tells a cyber doorman to hold all of his calls and returns well, to reality. And, yeah, it's a and, cool name. It's and, again and, well, like, it's it, the the security company that he's working with is Hajime Zaibatsu Security. And the only reason I know Zaibatsu is from GTA 2. Uh, shout out to the UK Rockstar company, right? Because mm-hmm. Ibatsu was one of the three gangs that you could work with. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where Zaibatsu comes from. Oh, it's the, uh, ja- it's the uh, Japanese word for mega corporation. Oh. If you're big in cyberpunk, the big bad guy, like, you know, because of course, cyberpunk being sci fi in the 80s. And, uh, you know, Snow, uh, uh, Neuromancer William and William Gibson, Snow Crash and uh, Neil Stevenson, like, you know, besides sort of the cybernetic futurism, there's also a fair amount of like anti-Japanese stuff, basically. Uh-huh. And so you've got a lot of evil mega corporations, but they're Japanese. So they're evil Zaibatsus. I mean, well, that last part I didn't like, but I do mm-hmm. like a good megacorp in a... You know, but this kinda... this mega corporation being called something or other Zaibatsu is uh, like this thing is just a pastiche of cyberpunk. Got it. Got it. Got it. And I, that's I like part it. Of it. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, definitely. It, it brought me into the world very quickly. Let me put it that. Way. I think it's yeah. No, I think I like that this this is a very this story is very breakneck. It actually, you know, of course, because of its cyberpunk stuff, it also reminds me of Shadows from a little while ago. Of just sort oh, of yeah. Oh yeah. Cy- cyberpunk is pretty unusual. Is a pretty unusual um, genre for 2000 AD, and I like that when they try to get into it, they just try to throw you in the deep end of it. Basically, a lot of terminology, I, I, a lot of new things to learn that I think works pretty well. And I think that it's a. It's a it's a typology that works really well for the comic. Yeah, it's definitely big much. in ninety. Like this is a very nineteen ninety two. Again, Cy- like kind of a late eighties, early nineties kind horrible of thing. Press exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, again, like I'm a big like so, sort of like I was talking about with Flesh, where we talked about where we talked about pre Jurassic Park uh, T Rexes. These like um, a pre Matrix virtual reality world is also kind of an interesting like vintage pe- like it's a vintage period it's a vintage kind of sci fi these things that exist before sort of the one that'll define the genre comes out basically it's like it's like smartphones before iPhones right or whatever. there's they no sort of, there's they, no they, they, they don't know what's going on this you know. Well, I mean, there would be – I mean, there kind of is just because that's from Alien, which is before this, right? Oh, that's, so that's, that's true. So Actually, the yeah, corporatism of the – you know, keep an eye out for that kind of corporatism of uh, of, of Weyland-Yutani that we might get later on in the story. You know, we're just doing the first one here. Elsewhere in I Paris space – I forgot that was 79. Oh, yeah. No, it's long ago. In the uh, long hexagon of free trade <laughs> incorporated, the purple-robed lady who's actually who's a blonde female mirror named T talks to Mrs. Shriek, a woman in red and black with fishnets and giant shoulder pads. And she says – T says that Lamb is really good and, of course, knows the Hajime – Saibatsu security code, so he's the right person for this lady to hire. Shriek is not so sure, though, so she calls up Mr. Cozy and has a hit put out on Lamb, just to see if he's any good in real life as well. A real world hit. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. T-cells shriek not to and she and shriek shuts her up and threatens her like don't you talk to me like that even in Paris space. I I love she, that her that her eyes and her mouth are constantly shadowed but maybe it is just her eye shadow and mouth makeup. Right. Again, you know, it's the era. She leaves Paris space and in this big Paris suit she's wearing, she wonders if she should get mirror implants and if they've killed Lamb yet. Next time, meetings and muggers. Loved it. Loved it. As a as a starter, uh, there's a lot of uh, like in-world naming, mm-hmm. but instead of over-explaining, like they didn't take like a, a huge text box that you might have seen in like the 80s when we were going through no, this. Where no, it's like, they're, this they're, means they're, that and that means this. And it's like yeah. this way and that. Like there's no over-explaining. It's just like, yeah. Mirrors are people who have a bunch of cybernetic parts in their body. Yeah, they're they're making the info dump part of the story, you know, yeah. sort of like create creating these characters that might not be experienced with the situation to tell them what's going on. And then they are sort of tossing a lot of jargon at you, but you can kind of figure it out a little. You, you can figure it out enough that it's mysteriously enticing as opposed to mysteriously off-putting, I guess. Absolutely. And what I what I absolutely loved, although we never really recognize it within the within the pages itself, no one talks about it. There is a person in the background of the last two pages that is just in what looks like an electrical chair strapped in. It's a it's a man who is just <laughs> yeah, sitting just in a chair in the strapped background, in. Mrs. Shriek's yeah. uh, office, and, and no one comments about it. And I can't wait to either a not hear anything about it. It's just what's there or B absolutely hear about it. Um, I mean, both are exciting. To me. When you're an evil murderous tech lady, you got to have direct the, the right interior decoration, even on the internet, buddy. <laughs> but with that, Oh, also Fox, I want to say, you know, a project manager myself, it's important to know which mugging should be meetings, which meetings should be calls and which calls <laughs> should be emails. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair but i want to know from you buddy as we reach the end of these threads what are your top and bottom stories for this 800 to 803 so uh i'm gonna start with the the obvious easy answer my bottom is robo hunter mm-hmm. uh it has sustained that um uh, what was the point of going back to Virtus if some dude with a four iron through his chest with a pipe, pressed a button, and then all of what made Virtus Virtus just uh, destroyed itself. Like, again, none of this mattered. None of anything mattered in that comic. Um, And I'm not saying that people didn't do their work. I'm just simply saying that it wasn't good. Um, In terms of top, so I've talked quite a bit through this entire episode, obviously some more than others. So I want to put some special mentions out there. I think Dread started right. strong, like especially out the gate and connecting it to to what we just read. Like, I feel like Dread is hitting a very good stride in terms of like you always mention the last apocalypse you just got out of. <laughs> yeah. But things haven't changed. Is Dread my top? Mm. No, Dread's not my top. Right. But it does great work and it gets it. Is Zenith my top? Zenith, great writing, great art, great lettering, great everything. But we're on this cliffhanger, we're on this knife's edge. And normally that's where I would say this is this is beautiful. 
I there are parts of me that kind of feels like it it knows where it's going, right? Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, nothing ends in in horribleness in Zenith. Uh, eye lasers aside, I'm sure that they will clean up Zenith in some way that I will find enjoyable, but that's what I want to see. And I'm going to hold my breath for that. And I'm going to put it up on a pedestal as soon as it's there. Cause I know that they're not going to fuck up the landing. Luke Kirby, as much as I've said, and look, I'll, I will be the one on the crucifix here. I don't, I don't care what other people think about this. If you're not critically thinking about Luke Kirby, to me, I, I feel like you're missing the point. It is a great comic. And I think it has more to say than what people necessarily give it credit for. I don't think it's a simple comic. And it's one mm -hmm. where if I were ever given the opportunity to talk to the people that worked on it, I would love to understand what was going through them. Even if that was simply, no, nah, we weren't thinking about it. I would accept that and still have a, a very interesting conversation with them. And so let me tell you, Conrad, what that leaves me with is my top, which baby, that's Flesh, the legend of Shimana. All right. It, I am telling you, everyone, I like, I don't know how this ends. Maybe it fucking completely biffs the landing. It does for me what ABC Warriors, it, like if I, if I were to first come in and they were to explain everybody, it's fun, it's stupid, it, it like even excusing, like if I didn't know about the cowboy shit, because really, they just tip of the hat said like, oh, there's some cowboys over here. You don't need to worry about it. They just said clean slate. We're hunting dinosaurs in the past for their meat. Also, here is this dinosaur team with a with a crazy lady who yeah. things are going to get weird. Uh, it's going <laughs> to get weird. And and it's fun and it's funny. And like literally in the first uh, not first, it was like the third comic. It's like. I'm horny and I'm a weird raptor. I want to fuck a different species. Like it it just it covers so much of what I know flesh is about, but even looking at it as a new reader, because I, I came in as skeptical. I'm like, ah, dinosaur team. And then by the end I was like, fucking dinosaur team, bro. <laughs> it felt so good. And it it really to your credit, Conrad, it is telling a story that that obviously is a through line for this sort of thing, but it's fun. And that that I think is hard to capture. You can say, hey, let's make Captain Planet. But is Captain Planet a fun show to watch? The answer is no. It's a funny show. It's stupid. But <laughs> this comic is fun to read. I want to see what happens with this team juxtapose that to fucking Robo Hunter where I'm like, no, all those people are going to die. I don't want anybody on the ABC dinosaurs to die. <laughs> They're my favorite characters. They're great. So my top goes to flesh. Uh, and I, I needed to over kind of accentualize that because uh, like everyone knows I like flesh, but I'm not loving it because dinosaurs and cowboys. I'm loving it because it, it gets it. Make your make your baddies worse than bad, but also then show them doing something horrific. And your heroes aren't all that heroic. The human is eating a human hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and so, Conrad, sure. uh, like given the, the start of this 800s, I really want to know 
what what is your top and bottom, but I want to know why everything else that you experienced, uh, like what you felt about it, because like, really, well, I feel like this this was so great for me after such a dark chapter. And I, I want to know yours. So I yield the floor. All right. Um, listen, I'll happily say Robo Hunter's my bottom. Hate that Robo Hunter. Happy to see it gone. Um, for my top thrill, I don't know. Um, I liked Flesh a lot. Um, I thought it was a real fun introduction to this character. Love seeing these dinos be crazy. Um, I thought Dread was okay. I'm not honestly a huge fan of this Marshall guy. Feels very, like, very superhero-y, I guess. Like, the, you know, like, the, the superhero, like, the first superhero story, you've got an origin story. Second superhero story is you lose your powers briefly and have to deal with that. Third superhero story is there's an evil version of the superhero that you've got to deal with. And the Marshall kind of feels like an, like... Like they set out to create like an evil Judge Dread, like not a Judge Death, but like someone who's all who's also a lawful e- evil, or like you know, like someone who also talks about I mean, having he justice and things like off that. Phrases, you know, yeah, and just like, and I feel like he's also very gimmicky, I guess, just with the exploding crossbow bolts and stuff. So it didn't really float my boat all that much, though. I am happy. Like I think we're actually gonna get a couple of these, like two or you know four issue like longer (laughs) dread stories through the through the end of the year like not long like mega epic but just like month long or maybe fortnight long dread stories that i feel like is a good fit yeah i'm not i'm i'm for it not again it um I thought Luke Kirby was really interesting. I think it really does a great job of creating this ominous small town setting and stuff like that. And also just creating these really weird kind of disturbing interactions between this tramp character and Luke. Um, I think that's all very well done. Um, and, and, and just creating a, yeah, this setting. Um, I think, but I think in the end, I'm going to give my top to Zenith. I think I'm really I, enjoying it's it. It's well-deserved, I feel the, like. The art's really good. I really like these sort of big, like, superhero fight scenes and stuff. You talked about um, the writing with sort of how Morrison, especially how Morrison sort of has young pain right in narration, I think is really Absolutely. cool. And also for a final chapter of Zenith, I really like the tying of things up the you know the origin of the loigor i really like ioxotat coming back for another round versus zenith and stuff like that it feels like and then also having the big fight be at this uh park with maxi man I, things like that nothing it all sort nothing of, feels rushed if that makes sense i if, mean i don't know i well, i feel I, like I mean, things it, are it feels a little like rushed, it's all well it feels like it's but, all coming back around and it's and it's using uh, sorry. I mean, this is your time. But, but I think yeah. I think Morrison is doing a really like I think that you know there there are elements of the story that we could have spent more time on if they wanted to. But I feel like Morrison is definitely like trying to hit themes and notes that are do, that are tying up loose ends and creating a satisfying conclusion to this story. And I think that that's all very well done. I I agree. I. Uh, it was difficult for me to choose between Flesh and Zenith 
and Zenith really because like the of course the art is stable, the writing is stable, the the lettering, right? Mm-hmm. It's all of the things in concert with each other and the structure, right? I feel that <clears throat> as soon as they were like, hey, we're the Loiger, it makes complete sense to us. Uh, that was to me the shattering moment. To me, the hmm. like like the thing that really shook you up. To me in this comic, like seeing Zenith's child who he didn't want very clearly, <laughs> right? Um, be Ayak Sata it, is that shattering moment. Like, I'm excited to see where it goes. It, yeah, definitely. It's so worth your time to read all of this. Like, I, I don't know if I can underscore this more. You could skip flesh in a lot of ways and miss out on a very fun comic book. But if you're looking like to me, it's like it's like reading. Some people will get shitty at me about this, but <laughs> reading Zenith is like reading Sandman. Like there are things hmm. going on in this comic book that are worth your reading. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think, um, and I, I, I think this, um, especially, I mean, especially phase three, I'd say actually, but both all of Zenith is a really interesting, like, you know, is part of maybe not Sandman specifically, but this sort of same era of like, like maybe a Watchman or a Dark Knight Returns or something just of this era of looking closely at both super at what we know about superheroes yes. and what we sort of like what we've come to expect from superheroes and superhero stories and stuff like that and being I completely think, thrown for a loop right yeah i think that while this one lacks some of that of the like three was so, phase three was such that it had so much meta oh, i mean that it's, stuff. it's the best so far yeah. That I've read, but I think four does st- is still doing a lot of just how you end a series, how you tie things up, how you sort of go over your work when you've done so many pages of it and stuff. And I think that's well done. And yeah, so that's why I've got Zenith as my top. I think it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. And I think that yeah, this series is a really interesting one, and especially you know belongs with though you know just like how i think a lot of alan moore's 2080 stuff yeah i think d- oh, yeah. deserves deserves a place in the discussion despite being a little bit less well known like zenith definitely should be in there with um your animal man and the other sort of big uh grant morrison things. i i so strongly agree with that sentiment like even at absolving mr rook and mr knight eye lasers are hilarious yeah like, I, well, that's about the silliness I, of I want and stuff, to you know? reread Zenith. And I, you know me, Conrad. How much do I like reading? The answer is none. <laughs> I, I, like, Zenith is, to me, a pivotal comic. It's great. Uh, and I'm glad that it got your top spot. Um Hoping. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. And, you know, we're going to I, I um, will finish Zenith up next time. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Again, that's not the actual the full end of Zenith, but this uh, it's the last of these phases. So, you know, yeah. it's good to think about that stuff. 
All right. So anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. It's always a long one this time. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. If everything else, spacespinner2000, we should be there. And why not drop us a rating or review wherever it is you're listening? Help us, help us out a lot. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Harding, and Sam Kitmiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show. Receive a ton of excellent awards, including advanced episodes, coverage of Modern 2080 in the magazine, and even Q&As with Fox and myself. Then, come right. back next time as we reach the conclusion to Zenith, uh, Dread and Judge Joyce reunite, Shamana goes undercover, Luke Kirby goes vampire hunting, Wired <laughs> Heads gets a little weird, and Finn <laughs> returns. Oh. I, I'm excited about this. all of the things you just said I'm pretty, I'm pretty into. Yeah, it should be good. And until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. I am a great number.